Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 24, Rebuilding Your Life. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome to Fusion Health Radio. Welcome back if you're a loyal listener and thanks for tuning in if this is your first time here. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Great. Uh, Michael, give people a recap. Who are you and what do you know? (laughs) So uh, my name is Michael Smith and I practice integrative medicine and I do that by combining the leading edge sciences of functional medicine and nutrition with the vast experience and wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine. And I also do kind of some counseling stuff with people. Because that's just the way it works. Uh, Yeah. And it's also sort of topical for the conversation today. Okay. Uh, And you've been doing that for 20 odd years? Yep. Yeah. (laughs) I shouldn't say that really old. Yeah. I read this for, well, I don't remember how long. uh, What was the question? I have good voices. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting to, to unleash that one on our, <laughs> on our listeners here. Um, for those of you who've not heard um, uh, Fusion Health Radio before, I'm Anthony Santa, and as the host of this program, the way I like to introduce myself is as a former patient of Michael's. I'm somebody who has subscribed to his uh, version of health and wellness and uh, living and all that sort of stuff for a few years now. Uh, that measured up and... Uh, quite successfully integrated with how it was uh, I was living my life around health before. Um, having studied my own uh, ideas around health and diet and nutrition, and uh, here we are today, um, I'm able to keep up with Michael. He's the doctor. I'm just the guy that makes the voices. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today's episode is called Rebuilding Your Life. Before we get into that, um, can you give us a recap? What did we talk about last time? Episode 23. Yeah, surviving modern medicine. Hmm. That was a fun one. Maybe not the most uh, uplifting uh, message that we had. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, we just talked about some medical statistics uh, around uh, how Western medicine, you know, is doing in terms of healthcare. And it would be more accurate to call it illness management. Um, The fact that, you know, what's called iatrogenic death and uh, damage or injury. Uh, depending on how you're doing do the math is either the number one or the number three leading cause you know of death and injury in the world which is scary and iatrogenic is again uh death by treatment or drug right so the western medical model is responsible for a lot of people dying uh yeah it's it's yeah a lot yeah uh hundreds of thousands of people a year hmm and you know, but it's it was that episode wasn't you know us just spanking Western medicine. It was more of a commentary on I guess just how passive aggressive we have allowed mainstream medicine to become. And in a way, we've kind of asked for it in the way that we you know you know the way we buy food at fast food restaurants or you know other things. So it was more of a kind of a heralding call for people to just you know recognize that if you're being treated by standard Western medicine, you should be. Uh, you know, very motivated to start talking to someone who has other training to hopefully get you off that drug. Mm-hmm. And to uh, take that uh, avenue, take that tack around health and nutrition, and to hopefully uh, inspire other people with it as well. Mm-hmm. It, certainly uh, spread a few healthy seeds out there. Get that idea out there. Okay, so um, today, episode 24, Rebuilding Your Life, go. <laughs> <laughs> go. Oh, geez, <laughs> the pressure, man. <laughs> Um, so I think anyone, uh, listening to this, uh, especially if you've had any kind of, you know, significant health challenge in your life has probably experienced, uh, something, you know, if it's a divorce or a death in the family or, uh, obviously being diagnosed with something that may, you know, very much change how you live your life, you know, you're going to kind of hit bottom in a way, you know, uh, probably one in three people deals with some aspect of addiction in their lifetime. You know, and, you know, we're all going to have to rebuild from whatever the bottom, you know, of our you know life experiences are. So it just seemed like a, a, a nice shift of conversation from the, our, you know, often fun geek out sessions that we have to just speak more from a heart centered place around what it's actually like, you know, to come back from, you know, whatever it is that knocked us off of, you know, 
the, the high road and, you know, put us on a low road. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I've, I've had my own experience with that in my life. I think I alluded to that just as I introduced myself. Mm-hmm. Um, is there is there some recognition of that sort of uh, uh, idea in your practice? Uh, like formally, do you actually actively say, okay, I want to do this with a person and take them through that sort of uh, process of scraping them up off the floor and then picking them up and <laughs> dusting them off? Uh, that's probably what I'm doing with 20, 25% of people. You know, I mean, we spoke to this in a previous podcast. You know, one of my favorite things is to get people off of drugs, you know, in, in the sense of off pharmaceutical drugs or, well, any drugs really. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's going to ask people to dig pretty deep, you know, and change their lifestyle in, in a way. So, you no, know, it's almost, almost in every, every appointment in some way I'm trying to help people notice that there's another step they can take in, a, in whatever direction to, you know, at least respond to the momentum that, you know, if they don't go in this direction, things are going to go in the other direction, you know, and it's, you know, almost like a coaching conversation half of the time about, you know, if you know, and it's not simply just motivating people. I mean, I think if motivation worked for everybody, we'd, you know, I'll have a Tony Robbins, you know, shirt or something, or, you know, you know, a little membership card and I'll be, you know, rocking our lives hundred percent of the time, you know, because motivation sometimes shames people. Shames people how? Well, if I'm sitting there going, rah, 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 you can be great. Let's be awesome. And the person's going, well, you know, I actually feel like crap about myself. You know, I've made all these mistakes or, you know, I'm wounded in this way or I got hurt in my divorce and the last thing people in that situation are going to think of is all the good fun things because their mind is naturally and presently focusing on the the things that make them feel the worst. Mm, So self-judgment. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm sitting there and, you know, we talked about this a few podcasts about colors of time or whatever we call black time or, you know, I'm at a place in my life where it's kind of, I'm looking within and it's the dark night of the soul. And someone says, you just need to be happy and you just need to get out there and be awesome. And that person's like going, you know, if I had a baseball bat, I'd probably hit you in the knee. <laughs> and then I tip myself over the head because right now I just feel self-loathing. So, mm, right. you know, so it, it takes a while to, you know, help people accept that that's where they're, they're at. I mean, if you're having a really bad time in your life, that's where you're at. Would you say that in your practice, it's um, something that you recognize in people that uh, the individuals have the capacity to actually... Um, take a cold, hard look in the mirror and say, that's where I'm at? Well, that's my job is to be the mirror. Oh, okay. You know, this is, so this is a, a weird uh, metaphor or image, but, uh, you know, we've had lots of conversations about humans being, you know, you know, post-primates or something. Uh, primates need grooming. Okay. Right. You know, and that's, you know, someone picking the, the you know, bugs and larvae out of your hair and maybe getting a free lunch while they you know, coo over you. And, <laughs> you know, in, in the human sense, you know, uh, we're not going to be covered in larvae, but our self-image might be covered, you know, in versions of ourselves and memories of ourselves uh, that aren't very positive, you know. And what we all need is for someone to come along and basically be present to that, you know, and still offer us affection, attention, and respect. Mm. I mean, that's clinically what counselors do. You know, we sit there and get to know people where they don't really want to be known because they're not going to talk about that because it's, you know, it, they feel ashamed of something, you know, or they, they feel like it's too, too much. It's overwhelming. Yeah, they may not necessarily understand what it is they think. Possibly. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways it can go, but it's one thing to be, uh, to hold yourself in a way or think of yourself in a way that's fairly negative and then to be in a room with someone who can appreciate that and still show you, you know, some attention and some affection and some respect. And then all of a sudden the, the secret bad wound that we may be carrying around uh, is allowed, you know, it's, you know, in the sense of grooming, you know, we can, we can get around, you know, warts and bugs and all and still be a valuable person in the family, in a relationship and in the workplace or wherever. But if we have a, enough negative view of ourselves, we're just recovering from a big loss. Um, you know, those negative self images, uh, or the, the time it takes for us to recover from any real severe trauma in life. I mean, that's, that's when you have to rebuild your life and in a way rebuild yourself because 
you know, quite often, you know, big changes change who we are. Would you say that the, uh, I guess the, uh, as you just described that, I mean, it sounds like um, an emotional experience, something where, um, you know, if I had uh, my partner die or uh, my parents died or something like that. Um, do you see how emotional traumas present themselves as sort of physical illnesses? Is that something that comes up? Yeah, I think there's, um, I mean, that's obviously a hundred percent true, you know, stress in just the general sense of being busy is 80% of every disease process. The more stressed you are, the more the disease process will, you know, advance. Right. So, I mean, that's just being busy. You know, and then there's the, the deeper emotional, you know, traumas that change how we see life. You know, we may, it may change how we see ourselves. It may make us, you know, the old saying, uh, once bitten, twice shy, you have a bad breakup in a relationship. And, you know, you spend two years, you know, you know, it might look like you're moping around, but on a certain level, you know, you're moving around through life, you know, a bit of a ghost because you're not sure you can trust anyone again. You know, or you can decide, and I think I've been here at least once or twice in my life where I pick, uh, you know, I pick the partners I pick, we all do, and things go badly. And then I decide, you know what, I'm just really bad at picking partners, so I'm going to stop. Hmm. And then maybe we'll just passively bump into people who might think we're kind of cute. And then we end up in situations that, well, I'll just go with whatever opportunity arises. And that usually doesn't go very well, <laughs> you know, but we become, again, this sort of passive, you know, victim of, you know, I just, I just pick badly, so I'll stop picking. And are, sometimes that's actually true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are, are people, um, I, I guess I'm questioning how it is that you've seen, you know, I, I don't want to make this conversation as being, this is the only way that it is in the world. This is kind of a conversation between you and I. So I want mm -hmm. to make it um, kind of a reflection of how it is that you've come to uh, experience things in your own practice. Mm -hmm. um, so with the people that actually come in to see you, if they've got some sort of, emotional hurt or trauma, um, can you, for lack of a better word, can you smell that on them? Like when they come in and they actually have some kind of um, digestive issue, this is the limits of my medical knowledge. Mm -hmm. I would think that if I was really hung up on something, I might get an ulcer because of that. Mm -hmm. so, so if somebody comes in with an ulcer, if I came in and I said, doc, oh, geez, you know what? I can't digest crap. I've got this acid reflux all the time, blah, 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 blah. This really hurts. Um, is it easy for you to sort of see that being a deeper issue for them? Or do you actually have to go through a process? Um, I'd say both. I'm an uncomfortably empathic person. You are? That's what you're saying? You're an uncomfortably un empathic person? Well, yeah, because being empathic is usually very uncomfortable because you're feeling the strongest things people feel around you. Yeah. You know, which has helped me, you know, greatly in my career path. Um, but, you know... It's also feeling into a person and asking myself, is today the right day to bring that up? Hmm. Right. You know, in the sense of the person with the ulcer sitting there and you can see from their body language, their posture, their tone of voice that, um, you know, what's the Australian, you know, saying, oh, I feel gutted, hmm. you know, because, yeah, you can definitely see, feel and smell it on people when they're suffering. I mean, I think we all do. Uh for me, clinically, it's just deciding when it's appropriate to bring that up. You know, usually it's like the third, fourth, fifth, you know, time people come in because they come in to talk and we work out what's going on, what we're going to do about it. Then I usually get people to do a series of acupuncture treatments. And uh, <clears throat> at some point, I just naturally sort of say, so I'm curious if, you know, you know, you feel this about that and, and you know, just sort of pop open the, you know, Pandora's box a little bit and see what comes up. And. I'd say 90% of the time people are super grateful for the opportunity to be met, you know, in that way and, you know, be allowed to, you know, share those things or to uh, acknowledge that that's actually what's going on and acknowledge they don't really feel like talking about it. Mm. And do you, um, do you come up against yourself sometimes if somebody says, yeah, I got an ulcer, um, I just want you to fix this? this thing on my elbow way over here yeah <laughs> let's just ignore that altogether like how, how do you how do you manage how do you deal with that as yourself as a, like as a as a physician but also as i guess a human being mm -hmm. if you see somebody hurting and you want to help them and they don't want to be helped what do you do i do what they ask me to do hmm. but um 
if I haven't brought up, you know, the elephant in the room of the fact the person, you know, is moving or, you know, behaving in a way that's clearly, you know, dealing with a lot of trauma or loss. Um, I think even with a certain kind of kind patient facial expression, people know, you know, you know that they know that you know that (laughs) something else is going on. And uh, you can kind of just watch a person's response to that, you know, sort of patient empathic gaze and, you know, the little people's eyes, you know, tear up a little bit or something. And, you know, there's, you know obviously, so I, I always have clinics in every room in my clinic because, you know, inevitably people start crying, you know, or you see the person do the opposite where they kind of like, they stop looking in your eyes and they, they look away and they steal up their spine and, you know, the little grr kind of comes into their, their voice and you're like, okay, not right now. Mm. And I mean, that's just respecting their autonomy. You know, I have this saying that, uh, I sneak up on my patients with food. <laughs> so the Monty Python images <laughs> self-defense with a banana. Right. But. And I'm laughing because as you say that, I'm thinking of my own experience as a patient. I'm going like, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you totally did that. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, we put people on uh, all these great diets and protocols and please take your herbs and supplements and get enough rest and all that good stuff. And for most people to actually do that, you know, all day, every day, self care, good decision, not going to go with my compensatory addiction for binge watching Netflix or, you know, if it's booze or if it's donuts or whatever. You know, all that period of time saying yes to life, yes to health, yes to yourself. At some point, you're going to run into the part of you that wants the opposite experience, which is I want my blankie, you know, or my comfort food or my, you know, drug of choice and and or my distraction of choice. And that's the, that's sort of like the choice point, Mm. you know. You know, we do these 10 week challenges twice a year for people where they, you know, can basically join up and spend a few weeks taking care of themselves. And most people at a certain point, they run into that, you know, part of themselves that would rather not so much die, but just go back to the status quo of, you know, being overweight or being, um, you know, chronically in pain or having some kind of digestive disorder or, you know, being depressed or, I mean, the list goes on. But at some point, we really actually have to choose to, I don't know, up level <clears throat> or next level, our relationship with just being alive. And that's the idea of rebuilding yourself from, you know, whatever mess, you know, each of us finds ourselves in at one point in our lives. But, you know, it's, it's just that, that opportunity really to just say, okay, so here, take care of yourself. And the moment you don't, let's talk about why. Let's talk about why self-care, self-love, <clears throat> self-regulation, all that kind of stuff is so uncomfortable for you. It reminds me of a game I, um, a good friend of mine, Steve, uh, we have these long conversations. It's a long distance relationship. Uh, <laughs> Steve lives in Victoria. I'm here in Nelson. And um, invariably he'll call with some kind of the dilemma du jour. <laughs> and um, uh, it's getting easier to actually uh, talk with Steve because I always have this game that I say, the uh, what comes up for you game. Because he'll spend five minutes rattling on about, oh my God, this happened, and then this, and then she said this, and then this, and then this happened, blah, 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 da, 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 da. And then I'm like, okay, so that's the story. So what comes up for you around all that? And he'll stop in his tracks, and I'll hear him swear a whole bunch. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. I said, yeah, well, you, you sound disappointed. And he says, well, I was just hoping to wallow in it for a while. And I said, well, you had your five minutes. <laughs> You know, like, well, how much, how much more is this actually going to do? You know, it's like, um, you know, you can only put so much manure into a garden. You know, once you've emptied the bag and you shovel it around and you move it around, it's, that's all there is. There's only so much crap you have, right? And then after that, you actually have to do something with it. Um, and when I, when I play that game with him, invariably, um, I learn something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, some cosmic gift, if it's from God or whomever or whatever it is. Uh, the conversations that I have with Steve are always ones where I learn something about myself and my own behavior. Um, and the reason why I, I bring that example up, that if if you have this opportunity with people in your own practice, and again, we're talking about your experience and that sort of mm-hmm. thing, um, do you see yourself uh, at the end of the day sometimes sitting there um, like totally exhausted because of all of the 
learnings, like all the aha moments you've had at the end of the day? Like, how do you function from day to day in a practice with this kind of compassionate um, outpouring with people without being totally overwhelmed and knocked on your ass? Um, I've had really good teachers, you know, on lots of different things, not just medicine or counseling. Um, and the thing I've learned the most from them is uh, what actually compassion really is, is to suffer with people. Suffer with people. Yeah, that's literally what compassion means. It's not sympathy. Compassion means to be in 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 the writhing angst of whatever people are going through with them. Hmm. And that's when I think, um, you know, and it's probably mirrors something that goes on between you and Steve, you know, is that once I'm really in it with someone and I can really empathize with where they're at, I'm, I'm naturally going to feel my response to that, which is, well, if that's where I was at, what would I, what would I do to move uh, forward or to sit still or left or right or whatever needs to happen to actually make uh, that opportunity uh, more present? You know, so I share an insight or an exercise or something like that, and both of us, hopefully, get to move from a fairly challenged, uh, challenging state to something more uplifting or at least with some purpose or uh, some insight about what's really going on. You know, for me, honestly, by the end of the day, I'm almost manic with, you know, kind of a happiness around, you know, I just spent, you know, I did had 11 or 12 conversations today. They were all really, really positive. That all had a moment of transformation or an aha thing. So, you know, I go home at the end of the day and I'm like, I'm kind of going to go home to my, you know, boring, <laughs> you know, presently bachelor life kind of going, hmm, you know. Uh, whereas when I'm sitting with people or even just having this conversation with you, I mean, for me, this this is life. I mean, really meeting people where they're at and having the the patience and the willingness to just, you know, start where you're at and take that little baby step towards yes. Mm. And when people um, are on side with you, Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of being able to fess up with whatever is really going on for them, the mm-hmm. issue why I have the ulcer. Let's go back to that example. Yeah. You know, it's the uh, the crap relationship I have with my kid, um, and uh, the fact that I hate my job. Blah 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 blah. Like all these different things that come up. Is there some kind of um, uh, is it, I was going to say generic? Is there like a generic protocol that you sort of have to sort of allow people to? Um, find a stable place to start a healing place or healing journey rather yeah well that's usually why i start with something as common sense as okay this is your diet these are your supplements this is the number of appointments we should have okay and that creates a frame of reference and a kind of commitment to a direction and you know you you, it, it takes me like i said probably two or three appointments or conversations with people to really get a sense of what kind of momentum um they're going to be comfortable with you know, because I could sit down with anybody and just, you know, here's my top 10 list of, you know, things you have to change in your life, mm-hmm. you know, right now to get to, you know, this optimal wellness of uh, mind, body and spirit. And, and, you know, there's lots of those posters out there that are, you know, you know, this is all you need to do. But uh, a lot of people, they're like, I could probably consider number three for a minute and see how that goes. But... You know, because some people are like, just give me the list. Other people, you know, can I have just part of number three? Hmm. You know, just tussle around with that for a couple of months to see if I'm okay with it. Because some people, I mean, I think with the respect to loss, which is, you know, one of the hardest things that humans go through, we're just not good at loss, you know, because it sucks, it hurts, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, things go away. Um, you know, on average, it takes people about two years to completely, you know, move through, uh, you know, a divorce or a big breakup or, you know, uh, the loss of someone close to us in some way to the point where that's not the most common thing you're thinking about all day, every day. Right. Right. You know, in the sense of how you actually physically embody and feel the, the loss. It's, it's huge. It's almost, um. What's that experience? Hat head. <laughs> I don't want to equate divorce to hat head, but I just did. Mm-hmm. You know, you wear a hat all day long or a helmet or something like that. And then after you take it off, it still feels like you're wearing the hat yeah. for the rest of the night or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to loss, um, uh, there's a little kind of story I share with people. 
Um, and we spoke to this in the podcast, I think number seven or eight around, uh, emotional intelligence and stuff. Uh, so imagine that you're walking through the mountains and you see a bear and the bear does its get out of my living room dance by getting up on its back legs and making noises. And you decide not to get out of his living room <laughs> and the bear comes running at you and knocks you over and rips off your left arm. And, uh, cause it's a medicine bear, puts the right kind of moss in the socket of where your arm used to be. It takes off with your arm and you're basically left living the rest of your life without something you've lost. So you go back to your, you know, we're going to say TP or something, cause we're going to go back 10,000 years where having two hands is a really, really good idea. And now you have to learn how to relive your life. Uh, you know, make your shoes, tie your shoes, start a fire, you know, with respect to what you've lost, right? And the imagery, of course, of someone trying to do all this stuff with one hand could be, you know, uh, could be seen as a comedy, you know, or it could be seen more from the inside of, oh my God, for the rest of my life, I have to do things with respect to a loss. And I mean the respect with like a capital R, because until you can respect how much loss affects you, it's still affecting you worse than it would, um, or it's going to be worse until you accept that that's actually what you have to deal with. And the reason that imagery is sort of useful is it brings up the idea of not the passive acceptance of, oh, well, I just lost something, you know, that person's dead or, you know, I'll never see that, you know, my lover again or, you know, whatever it is. It's a very um, uh, proactive kind of experience of what I call an adaptive pause, where you actually commit a period of time to be with, you know, yourself with respect to the loss. You know, besides any depressants and alcohol or whatever, in the sense of trying to avoid how we feel, uh, you know, at some point we're going to have to sit down and really grieve the loss and learn to be um, maybe not happy, but at least, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? At home with the idea? Well, I guess at home with yourself, mm. um, day in, day out, feeling what you're feeling. Because, I mean... The fact that as a one in four people are on a psychiatric medication, you know, in, well, I guess in the States, uh, where all statistics come from, um, you know, we're really good at just putting a bandaid over our emotional difficulties. And, you know, for some people for a period of time, I think that, you know, if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. But at some point you're going to have to actually go deeper into the grieving, you know, and actually, uh, you know, learn from it. Mm-hmm. You know, but we live in this sort of fast-paced, you know, instant gratification world now where, you know, we all have, you know, phones and uh, no screens in every room or something like that where we can be stimulated or distracted um, to the degree we don't really even remember what checking in with ourselves is like because checkout is always on the menu. And it's so addictive. It's so compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked a little bit about that in the, uh, the brain series as well, about the, the physiology of addiction. Yeah. And what that does with the chemicals and everything that goes on in the brain. Um, with this idea of adaptive pause, is it um, is that something that could actually be uh, treated for? Uh, like, I, and again, I'm talking in your practice. If if you see someone who's actually going through that sort of thing, you get. So I come in, I had the ulcer, and you know, after so long of being with you, I come to a place where I feel like I can actually trust you about this whole idea of like, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, my dad died and uh, my kid's a total jerk and my job I hated and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, coming to that sort of place where you see the adaptive pause sort of opening up or flowering, is there anything you do around that to sort of help someone um, navigate that whole idea? Well, I mean, there's a lot of practices that you can put in place. Right. You know, I mean, obviously eating better for your mental health is going to be better for your mental health. But again, making those discernments every day and recognizing that you are now the person who is, you know, changing the direction of the journey of your life in some way. Some people, maybe it's just a few degrees. Some people are turning 180 and trying to get back the other way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for without going into like a six hour thing of all of the things I actually you know ask people to do. <laughs> It's just finding uh, some kind of exercise, some meditation, some yoga, some, uh, I refer people to other people's podcasts or people's other books or something like that, where, you know, people are speaking to that specific experience or, or sort of a uh, time of transformation that people go through. Because we, we need, 
mentoring you know, mm-hmm. in almost every aspect of our lives at some point in our lives. Well, when you, when you said mentoring, uh, I flashed on the word wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wise ideas from somebody who's been there and done that. Yeah, I mean, in um, so I have a First Nations background, and you know, in our culture, uh, we have this thing we call raising each other up. You know, where you know we have these different phases of life that we actually look at almost different. You know, each of us is a different person as we go through these different phases of life, and we go through puberties between them. So, you know, I have mentors in their 60s, you know, and I go to them all of the time. They're kind of like my dads. I've got a whole bunch of dads, mm-hmm. you know, who I can just sit there and go, this is, you know, this is what I'm going through. This is a, <clears throat> I'm not sure how to deal with this. What what did you do or what, do you, what would you suggest? And they've been, you know, they're 20 years ahead of me. You know, so they're going to have at least some insight, and if not, the honesty to say, I should talk to somebody older. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I'm always talking to people in their 20s and 30s. You know, in the sense of that, you know, they they come to me because they're looking for some insight on how to get through that, and I've gotten through most of that. Hopefully, <laughs> coming up on 50. You know, I mean, I think of some elders I have that are in their 60s and 70s are talking to people that are in their 90s. You know, as long as we always have someone to look ahead. Uh, to speak to who's been through, you know, much of what we're going through now, then we're not alone with it, you know. Although, I mean, I, I could just easily spend a year moping around something, you know, instead of actually going to talk to somebody about it because I'm not really done with it yet, you know. So it's just, I mean, that's the thing about mentoring is just knowing that, well, you could go and actually listen to someone, share with you their insights, and mm-hmm. you can pick them up, you know, like a, it's like going to a buffet, you know. I often say that on my patients. Here's a buffet of ideas. Pick the stuff you want and leave everything else on the table. Mm-hmm. And eat whatever's <clears> on your plate. Yeah, and please do something with the stuff you're, you're taking, you know, from this conversation. But When you talk about um, valuing the information mm-hmm. uh, that you get from your mentors, um, it gives me reflection on how it is that I've come to um, grow in my own understanding of health and specifically my own health condition and um, coming up against uh, online information mm-hmm. um, and different uh, practitioners or ideas um, that sort of felt really thin, really kind of, uh, hey, you need this, take this pill, you'll be better in a day, blah, blah, like that kind of, um, you know, infomercial mm-hmm. kind of BS uh, versus uh, really dialing in and uh, to certain individuals who... Um, I resonated with who I felt some sort of affinity, affinity with, and yeah, like you like you said, you know, get, getting that wisdom from somebody you trust is is for me has always been way more. Um, it's been a bigger vitamin, mm-hmm. or it has been a vitamin as opposed to just a sugar pill. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, this brings up something about. Um, I was just thinking about what I call vitamin M or meditation. You know. I mean, for me, if I'm so upset at, at, at something in my life that I won't meditate, then I know I need to meditate more than I normally would, <laughs> right? Because like, if I'm so full of heebie-jeebies or bad feelings or whatever, that the idea of sitting with myself for, you know, 45 minutes or something like that makes me uncomfortable. I mean, that's, that's for me like a big dashboard light, which is, okay, now I really need to go and maybe take some time off and just spend some time alone. Usually I go for a, you know, a camping for a few days and just, you know, hike through the hills and disallow any possible distraction, you know, or any kind of addictive behavior or anything like that. Cause it's like, no, this is big. I, I've got to go and just be with myself. Mm-hmm. And this brings up this fun question, uh, from the, the Taoist tradition of meditation, which is who is the one meditating? Who is the one meditating? And I know you've said that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time you say it, it kind of makes me stop. And, it, you know, as much as I'm trying to pay attention to what we're talking about here on the podcast, whenever you say, who's the one meditating, I always think, who's the one podcasting right now? <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually why the question exists, because it isn't really about who's meditating. It's about the experience and commitment to um, actually asking yourself, well, who am I now? I just got divorced or I had a bankruptcy or I lost a friend or... Um, when you can start asking that question and honestly listen. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, every, every time you've said that, it always just stops me dead in my tracks. And all of a sudden it's like, uh, it puts the brakes on the linear thinking mm-hmm. that goes on in between my ears when we're doing this podcast. And all of a sudden I become much more, um, 
I don't know, grounded, self-aware, um, uh, introspective. Like in a flash, it just yeah. sort of brings that all up. Yeah, and I often bring that up with patients, and then I ask them, you know, we're going to start basically with your ego. And I you know, just say what your ego wants, you know, what does your ego want me to know about you the most? You know, that you're amazing in bed or that you're, well, it's probably appropriate with your doctor, but, you know, or, or whatever. But just like, you know, there's things that, you know, we just sort of, it's like getting it off your chest. You know, I want you to think that I'm smart and pretty and, uh, you know, better than that person who beat me in high school or whatever, because the ego just wants some kind of protection from bad things, you know, around your, you know, personality and emotion and stuff. And then we just have the conversation, okay, now what do you really want me to know about you that is kind of your deepest, darkest secret? Like, what, what's the bad stuff that's sort of squirming around between your ego and your heart? You know, because that's this thing that a lot of us look towards our heart in the sense of who is the one meditating or who am I in the vaster sense of being a sentient being. And the first thing we see is all of the negative crap we've decided to believe is true about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now it's true about you. It's not just negative crap. I mean, and now you're you're having a counseling session because you've come to believe you're a bad person or um, you know, shouldn't be valued in some way because of something, you know, somebody else may have foisted on you in your childhood or something. So it's it's basically, you know, kind of a, I, I'll put my little finger on my nose like an elevator button and then my conscious awareness goes from whatever I'm doing with my head, you know, and I have to go down the elevator ride and go, okay, so... You know, who is Mike right now? What's the worst thing I feel about myself? What's the thing I want to tell everybody about myself to make that worst feeling go away? But it won't. But at least now I've you know, thrown out my ego stuff and I can embrace the, the difficult part. Uh, eventually I get to actually the center of my being, which we all have one of those somewhere, <laughs> where I'm actually just completely at peace with all the negative stuff and all the positive stuff and all the you know other stuff. And then I can begin, you know, in the sense of rebuilding myself from a place of truth. Hmm. When you say the word begin, um, what comes up for me when I get into those sort of spaces? Um, and again, going back to the game that I played with, uh, with Steve, the uh, what comes up for you game. Um, <laughs> whenever he says whatever it is that's going on, the words that always go through my head, oh, well, that's really interesting. Well, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. And everything's always interesting. It's neither good or bad. It's just interesting. Um, so in, in that sort of game, and I sort of animate my voice in that way when I talk to him about that, almost as a way to sort of show him um, the true sense of himself um, is taken care of, is just this okay thing. It's neither good or bad. It's just is. Um, Steve's Steve exists. He's okay. There's no need for all this other kind of drama and story and all that other drama and story, good or bad or otherwise, is always interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when you talk about center, you know, centering and coming down to whatever it is at my heart level, um, the words, uh, that's interesting, has always been something that's been kind of a, I, I mean, I want to make t-shirts <laughs> and just sort of put that on there because it's been the kind of thing that's allowed me to deal and manage with um, divorce, um, I don't know, gluten intolerance. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a broad spectrum of things to, to, to talk about, but it's always um, a very uh, peaceful place I go to when I, when I get to that. Um, and more often than not, it's not anything I really need to turn on. It's not anything I need to dial up. It's just kind of always there. Well, that's really interesting. You know, that guy just cut that other person off. Well, that person just cut me off. That's interesting. You know, in a way I go. Uh, well, some other, one other thing comes to mind as well. Um, when we're going to rebuild ourselves um, <clears throat> from the ground up, it's it's very much like renovating a house, right? And I use this analogy with uh, other things as well. But so imagine that um, so I got a house and I want to renovate it, and that that's the analogy for me taking care of my health. So I hire some friends to come and help me out, and we're going to take out all the appliances. Right? We're going to take out all this other stuff and you know make sure that we can put it all back together. Uh, put all of those things in storage. Then we set up all the sawhorses and you know generators and other stuff we need to run all of the tools. We bring in all of the wood and materials. We stack it all up. And then we're going to gradually, you know, step by step, renovate the house. Right? What happens if I decide I want to have a party? 
during the renovation. Yeah. And this is what the metaphor is about is, okay, so now we're going to take all the tools and put them in trucks. And then we're going to go and take all the appliances out of storage and put it all back together and I don't know, duct tape, whatever we need to in the middle of the process of rebuilding the house to make it look like a house and put on the stereo and the speakers and dance party and yay, have fun. And then, you know, we have our little selfish party, you know, and then it's time to take everything back out and put all the tools back in and get back to the renovation. You know, and this is the hardest part for, for all of us. And almost in the, in a way, the most poignantly beautiful thing is we all avoid the renovation just so we can have occasional parties. And so say that in terms of the analogy around our health. Right. So if you're going to try and completely, you know, recover from a traumatic loss or, you know, really seriously, you know, try and rearrange your metabolism from whatever your metabolism is deciding to do with you. Um, it's deciding to commit to like maybe a minimum of a hundred days of the renovation process to rebuild your life, you know, from whatever. And, um, you know, in Chinese medicine, that's like a, almost a sacred thing, you know, a hundred days. It's been like that around, you know, Qigong and shamanism and martial arts and stuff, a, a committed period of time. So say with martial arts, you'd be doing a certain group of exercises every day for a hundred days. Okay. Uh, if you're trying to rearrange your type two diabetes to not become diabetes, then you're maybe going to have to, you know, maybe go on a ketogenic diet or something close to that for a hundred days. So obviously it could be any number of days, but that's just, you know, it gives people a, you know, a, a clear, distinct sense that for this next number of days, I don't do this. And I do a lot of that. And if that's just meditating or just going for walks or just, you know, avoiding your typical comfort things so that you can be uncomfortable and consciously uncomfortable because that's a huge part of healing is to be conscious with your discomfort then uh, you're now basically allowed you know to just keep asking who is the one meditating who is the one grieving who is the one trying to not be diabetic and it's also uh, when you make that kind of rite of passage commitment to a period of time um, you, you're either going to succeed or you're not and failing isn't a failure. A failure or not, not, not succeeding says you're not ready to get you to know, to know yourself that deeply yet or right now. Hmm. So this, that makes me think of the word um, homeostasis. Like, you know, if I cut myself, I don't have to think about sewing the back up. Mm -hmm. My body just automatically wants to heal itself, right? So at a bigger level, um, my body wants to heal itself mm -hmm. emotionally, spiritually, physically. That's always there. I just need to uh, recognize, based on what you're saying, um, you know, who is the one podcasting. Mm -hmm. Well, the one podcasting is one who inherently wants to be healthy. The body wants to be alive until it isn't. <laughs> and then I don't know what it wants to do. That's another podcast. But um, What's the word I just said? Homeostasis? Mm -hmm. The idea of homeostasis being um, the driver of everything that actually goes on for us. Um, almost makes the idea of this adaptive pause and the renovation thing. Um, as you say it, it makes me think it's like, oh, whew, I don't need to worry about this. My body really wants to heal. I just need to get out of the way, keep watching things go by and go, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Look at that. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's going from uh, not being healthy over to the uh, road to being healthy. And I'm just watching it go by. And that's really interesting. I think I would... I'd even want to take it a little farther than that, but I think that's where it starts for everybody. You know, as we kind we kind of sort of almost through the side of our eyes, see the things that we're really scared of or are really uncomfortable with in ourselves, and we'll kind of acknowledge it in our peripheral vision. And go, oh yeah, I, I know, and I got goosebumps, so um, it's on TV, you know, and then it's gonna eventually have to come and really be present. And uh, there's a practice that I do um, myself and I share with people. So, and I'll share that with the, the listeners today. So, uh, imagine that everyone in life walks around with a little red wagon. Okay. Right? And it's full of Ziploc bags. And the Ziploc bags are full of every different thing that's ever been bad. Everything that's hurt you every time you've hurt someone else. All right. And you're walking along pulling your little red wagon. And as long as you're not paying attention to the Ziploc bags, they fill up with emotional pain. And that makes them heavy. And eventually your little red wagon starts to squeak. 
and then it stops squeaking because you can't pull it anymore because it's too heavy. So what I actually, and this is an actual practice that I do, is I'll sit down, you know, sometimes in a sweat lodge or, you know, in nature or, I don't know, on the side of my bed or something going, oh boy, this is really big. And I pick up each thing, you know, in its individual little Ziploc bag of trauma, you know, regret, uh, shame, whichever. And I put a little welcome mat in front of my heart. Well, I visualize one because I have a welcome mat. <laughs> and then I open a little bag and I set it on the welcome mat and I just sit there and welcome the truth, the lies, the stories, the, I don't know, the reality of that actual volume of emotional experience, you know. And, you know, there's lies I've told, there's things I regret doing to other people, there's things I regret other people doing to me, there's things that I still feel ashamed about uh, when they come up. So it's just being able to have a practical, you know, period of time where you're going to sit down and just re recapitulate, is the word, everything that still haunts you, right? And if you're not willing to, it's going to still, it'll be haunting you. And you'll be trying to get away from it by keeping your attention on stuff you like, or your attention, you know, debrided by alcohol or any depressants or, you know, the misuse of marijuana or something else. And you know, that's okay. I mean, we are allowed to be... Um, <clears throat> distracted for the period of time that we need to be distracted or else we're just going to add shame to that particular pile and at a certain point if you keep painting yourself into a corner of I'm not allowed to be okay with the fact that I'm not okay with myself eventually you'll probably end up killing yourself mm. or just drugging yourself to the point where you don't remember who you are and what matters you know and that can happen to people and that's why I, I brought up this uh, subject for a podcast is you know it's not simple it's definitely not comfortable, but accepting the fact that you now have to actually be uh, authentically truthful and honest with yourself, going to what's called right relationship with yourself and everything you feel, because you're feeling it anyway. You're feeling it anyway, even if you're not really looking at it. Yeah. I mean, you could be sitting there, you know, guzzling your particular, you know, alcohol of choice. And now you don't feel what you're feeling as much as you did five minutes ago, which is why it's so popular. Um, but you still feel what you're feeling. It's just you can't really remember how bad it is. Mm. You know, here's a fun statistic. And this was from almost 15 years ago. And again, from the States, because they have the best statistics <laughs> or the easiest to find. Um, more, more statisticians. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or they're just the biggest yield sign for the modern world on <laughs> how far you can go before it really goes badly. Um, if you take the amount of alcohol consumed in the United States and divide it by the number of people who have, uh, who are of legal drinking age, everyone in the United States would have to drink three drinks a day. Everyone. Every, every person between 18 and 80 or whatever. Would, okay. Or yeah. 21 down there. Uh, depends on the state. Um, so let me get this straight. This is a stat that's 15 years old. Yep. For all the booze that's drunk in a year. Mm -hmm. Um, divide that by the amount of people who are legally allowed to drink. Legally allowed to drink. Yep. Which, wow. And that brings everyone to three drinks a day. Yep. And that's probably, I don't know, not that I'm a scientist or anything like that, but would you think that that stats even more today? Uh, especially in the last few months. <laughs> uh, well, just because there's a lot going down on the state right now. But I mean, the reason I just bring that up is it's, it's startling, but it's also, I think, a good meter for how much we need to be judging ourselves. You know, I mean, we could decide to say, well, I mean, that means there's a hell of a lot of alcoholics in the world, but it's more important to say, look, we live in a world that's so impatient that we drink that much to just stay, I don't know, I wouldn't say sane, but stay medicated enough to not go cuckoo. To say, uh, to stay, um, I'm trying to find a word, uh, functional, dysfunctional. Like there's a, there's a level of, a stupor we allowed ourselves to be in yeah well i mean having been at one point in my life what i would call a functional alcoholic i mean that the term functional alcoholic means you're basically dating with dysfunction you know at some point you're gonna it's gonna get worse or it's gonna get better and you know just functioning isn't really you know doing that great in life but at least you're functional right you know so i'm gonna try another one uh in, in the sense of uh analogy or metaphor and this is probably my favorite one for helping people begin, you know, rebuilding your life. Uh, so you've probably heard of Oscar the Grouch, mm -hmm. pretty famous guy. 
And perhaps the reason why he's... Oh, wow. That's so cool. The reason why he's grumpy is that he keeps getting put in a garbage can. Sure. Sure. So let's say that we all have an Oscar the Grouch in a garbage can inside of our chest. Okay. And uh, this doesn't work nearly as well on radio. It's better with video or in person in a room. Imagine you're trying to live your life and you've got to keep one hand or elbow or foot or knee or head or something on the lid of the can to keep Oscar in the can. Because if you've got enough emotional distress that you need to suppress it, that's exactly what Oscar in the can looks like. You know, you're trying to make dinner and be on the phone and I'm making all these mannerisms of trying to, you know, be busy with, you know, half of my energy wasted on keeping the lid on this can and it's making me less able to just do the stuff I want to do anyway because I'm busy, you know, keeping Oscar in the can. And the thing that's, I think, important to realize for anyone, uh, or at least embrace, is if you're strong enough for what's in the can, in the sense you can keep your finger on it and keep it in the can, you're strong enough for it as a human being. So you can let the lid off and still be strong enough to be with the feeling and just have the feeling instead of suppress it. Mm. Right. But most of us are terrified that if we open up the Pandora's box of, you know, Oscar's lid, he's going to come out of there. He's going to take us out and he's probably going to take out the world, you know, cause that's us. I mean, we're just instinctually kind of reflexively saying, keep it down, keep it in the can. As long as it doesn't get out, I can keep sneaking by, you know, day to day with all of this turmoil in myself and maybe no one will even notice. And most people can tell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a conversation actually just today before I came down uh, to record podcast uh, with uh, somebody who um, were on the same, uh, how do you call it, team, if you will. I don't want to describe what, this, uh, what association we have in town, but we're both associated with the same entity here in town. Um, and over the past year, there's been a number of changes significant changes um, that uh, finally came to a head and ended. Uh, they had started some number of years ago, and um, I was curious as to why it all happened. Uh, because from my perspective, I was like, what the heck is this? Like, was it always this crazy? Well, I took the lid off of her Oscar grouch can, mm -hmm. <laughs> and she just let it all out. And... Um, not like she let me have it, like she was angry or anything like that, but she was full of some kind of venom around the whole thing, mostly from disappointment, uh, frustration. And, uh, and after the conversation, um, as we, you know, we said our goodbyes, um, you know, I heard her call after me and I turned around and she says, thanks. I said, uh, for what? She says, I didn't know I actually had that all in there. <laughs> I'm like, I did. <laughs> Why do you think I've never talked to you before? <laughs> She just looked at me with these wide eyes, but it was true, mm -hmm. you know, because I could totally smell it on her that she was kind of uh, angry or befuddled or just kind of a general, uh, for lack of a better word, bitch. Um, and not necessarily at me, but just at everything. Everything just sort of rubbed her the wrong way. And I was just like, you know, what is it that makes this woman so um, disappointed and uh, show up like that like i had this huge curiosity i had no idea that i'd ever get the opportunity to find out but today i did i took the lid off of that oscar the grand oh thanks for that oscar the grouch coach or grouch can <laughs> yeah so um i mean i could keep you know coming up with more a little exercise imagery and stuff like that but when it comes to rebuilding your life my life anyone who's listening's life uh, much like the renovation analogy you just have to decide to commit to change and mm. to being uncomfortable and to missing the convenient quick fix party stuff or whatever that just makes it all seem like it, it can go away. You know, any, any human being who's had any number of significantly challenging life experiences, when we first look at ourselves, we look at ourselves negatively because we're trying to figure out, um, you know, how to blame someone or how to fix it or how to control it, you know. So it's just giving ourselves permission and committing to a period of time of being patient and uncomfortable, you know, and in a way, um, embracing the strength that we already must have to keep going, you know, with respect to you know, if it's Oscar in the can or whatever, your squeaky wheels, you know, the red wagon, 
you know, because if we are strong enough for the the things that we need to be, that, I mean, that's that's where it starts. Is of course I have to be strong enough. I'm still having this conversation. You're listening to this podcast. You know, you're you're a person who's you know looking for access to the insight, the information, or the inspiration, uh, the mentoring to just begin to say yes to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and to to you know yes to being uncomfortable, yes to impatience, you know, yes to anxiety and feeling depressed and you know, the other things that we do until we begin to remember ourselves as a person who's actually present to life, the good, the bad, the ups, the downs. And then the, the kind of volume of the, the negativity can have uh, in, in the space of the room gets smaller, you know. So this is a, a different thing, but uh, I work with someone who's got PTSD or many who have PTSD. Um, and the thing we've decided to do for his particular situation is to keep the we call it the demon. <clears throat> it's the uh, part of him that when he gets triggered and his PTSD gets triggered enough, he starts to act out, uh, you know, physically. And he's a big, strong guy, so you know, he gets pretty scary looking. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Right. PTSD. So, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Just making, <laughs> just making sure that everyone yeah. knows what you're talking about. Thanks for that. We said the shorthand. <laughs> you know, filling out files, you get pretty good at shorthand. Right. Anyway, so he keeps his demon in his pocket. All day, every day, and when he's having a hard day, he feeds it some tobacco. Sort of a native thing, but um, that way, that part of his being is always met and cared for and acknowledged. Instead of, if I could just kill this demon, Hmm. I'd finally be a good guy. Instead of going, no, I just need to be, you know, really, really, oh, what's that saying? Keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. You know, because that's, that's the truth with any kind of trauma. You just have to be able to embrace it, welcome it, you know, go through the uncomfortable stuff when it gets triggered. But when we start to remember ourselves as the person who has made that commitment, that changes everything, right? Because, I mean, that, that's the funny thing. When you remember yourself as someone who's just good or bad, you know, I mean, that's, that's the way kids kind of operate until they start to get, you know, more into life as adults we we don't have a choice we have to become present to who we really are and to keep asking who is the one meditating who is the one getting divorced or getting married or and perhaps even realizing that um we're both of those things right those two parts make the whole yeah the yin yang symbol um yeah absolutely um i'm not sure where uh the conversation wants to go from here um, is there anything more that you want to offer? Well, I just, I think I just to review the idea, <clears throat> you know, rebuilding your life means something is enough of a mess, you know, in whatever way that needs to be transformed. And we need help doing that. You know, there are occasions, I think, when individuals magically find the insight within themselves to face something that up until now they hadn't really, you know, had a, a sense of how to deal with. You know, but that can happen. But it's much more likely the more you share your experience with people, keep the lid off your Oscar, you know, welcome your particular little, you know, baggies of you know, bad memories until you're just yourself. Because you're never going to not be yourself. Well, I guess there's certain hallucinogens that could change that around a bit. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's all in there. And yeah. it's, it's just a matter of actually... Uh, recognizing and appreciating that, eh? Yeah, because it's all about just, you know, if we if we, we stop looking for distraction and we choose to be attracted to ourselves just enough to listen to both the comfortable and the uncomfortable parts, you know, because, I mean, it's like getting married with somebody. you got to get to know them, right? We should have the special thing. You have to get married to yourself first, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> deeply and emotionally and spiritually before you can get married to anybody else. That's probably not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time when Michael's new course. <laughs> <laughs> Marry yourself well. <laughs> Might be the, the, the title of a new podcast. Um, I guess that wraps up today's episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a pretty thorough discussion. Uh, episode 24 of Fusion House Radio today has been Rebuilding Your Life. Um, and on that, uh, I'm sure there's been some ideas that we've shared today and uh, questions that have come up for you based on that. So please do let us know. Uh, search us out on Facebook. Fusion Health Radio lives there. Uh, you can comment about uh, what you heard, uh, whether you liked it or not. We still want to hear from you. Um, any comments are welcome. Uh, and certainly if you do have a uh, question specific to Michael about uh, health, diet, nutrition, uh, mindset, lifestyle, uh, that's the right place to do it. 
Uh, you can find us, if you didn't already do so, on iTunes, and you can subscribe to the podcast there. The complete library is there. And um, if you like what you heard, uh, please share it with a friend, and you can even write us a review. Reviews are always a good way for iTunes to uh, let a lot of other people know that our podcast exists, and uh, they put us higher up in the ranks with the more reviews that we get. So please do do that. And uh, if you do write a review, just let us know on Facebook that you did that. And I'll send you a copy of Returning to an Ancestral Diet as an ebook, which gives you 500 recipes from around the world. So. And it gives you a small taste of Michael's um, uh, health uh, wisdom because Michael's the guy that wrote the book. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep telling people. Oh, forget. <laughs> You're just too damn shy. Um, that wraps up uh, today's episode. Thanks for listening. Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Featuring Dr. Michael Smith, I'm Anthony Santa, your host, and we'll see you next time. Have a great day and get to know yourself. It's always a good idea. Great idea. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.